0: Welcome to the Natural Capital podcast, produced as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. My name is Rachel Smiley, and in this series, we explore different natural capital assets and their value to Scottish agriculture and the rural economy. We speak to people, groups, experts, helping to manage, protect and restore these resources, ecosystems and habitats. In this episode of Natural Capital, we are talking about the issue that underpins every topic we cover, and that is finance and funding. With the economic and other pressures that landowners are facing, it's great today to be joined by Steve Dunkley and Martin Hansen from HSBC. Steve Dunkley is the Regional Agricultural Director and Martin Hansen is the Head of Agriculture at HSBC. Welcome to the Natural Capital Podcast. Martin, do you want to just start off with introducing yourself?
1: Yes, certainly, Rachel. I'm Martin Hansen. I'm the Head of Agriculture for HSBC in the UK And that means I'm responsible for the bank's strategy, for the long term support of the sector, uh, for working with industry bodies such as the NFU, for liaising with government and DEFRA, and for leading uh, agricultural business on the ground. And that's done through five regional business units, around 100 colleagues. And in total, we help by lending to somewhere between a quarter and a fifth of all the finance that's going out to the sector from banks. And Steve? Hi, Rachel. I'm
2: Steve Dunkley. I'm the Regional Agriculture Director for HSBC in the north, which means I cover the north of England, Scotland and and Northern Ireland in my role. I think we're probably pretty unique as a bank. Um, We have a large team of 100, but there's myself and two other colleagues as Regional Ag Directors. Um, We're more farming specialists within the team. We're out there working with clients, working with our team as well, providing sort of specialist farming input to the work that we do on a a day-to-day basis.
0: So, Martin, let's start with some big picture stuff. What does HSBC understand green finance to be?
1: The UK government call green finance any structured financial activity, whether that's a product or a service that's been created to ensure a better environmental outcome. And that's not a bad starting point. The official banking definition of when lending to support environmentally sustainable purposes can be classed formally as green Is far more specific. In fact, there's a whole taxonomy that sits behind it and very specific aspects which need to be met before a bank can officially call an advance green within its lending book. And that's no bad thing. It's designed to avoid greenwashing and problems which appear when the purpose of a finance isn't as green as has been claimed. Now, where I focus day to day is to think, well, how can we help the industry transition? If the structure and the purpose of a loan means we can't call it green finance, but the impact of a loan helps a farmer to improve how sustainably they produce food, then I'm very keen to support it and I would get behind it, even if I can't class it as green within my book.
0: And are you seeing clients asking you more about green finance products and what are the trends with farmers?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly seeing more money being lent for purposes, which improve the sustainable footprint of a farm. Most of the time our customers are focusing on efficiencies and on commercial opportunities which would probably bring sustainability or natural capital benefits alongside them. We try to understand what's motivating and influencing the farm and what the drivers are and I have to say far more often it's commercial and practical in nature rather than specifically focused on being able to call the finance green or indeed by achieving a pure green outcome we are seeing though some specific projects and we're certainly seeing an increased number of requests for finance unsurprisingly when there was that big spike in energy costs we saw a huge spike in requests for finance for solar for batteries for ad plants and we're also seeing an increased number of our customers that are employing more elements of regenerating farming methods like low-till or no-till So natural capital features in some of those requests, but I have to say the driving force definitely remains emission reduction and farm efficiency.
0: And what about you, Steve? What trends are you seeing with farmers?
1: I think, as Martin
2: said, a lot of what we've seen recently is around farmers trying to kind of offset that increase in energy cost. There's not a farmer go on to now where either they're not talking about that or they've already got some type of renewables on it. More specifically around natural capital, though, a lot of farms that you go on to now, they are looking at how they manage habitats on farm in different ways. Now, some of that has been driven by what the government has done in terms of uh, different schemes across the the UK. So, you know, infield margins, uh, hedgerow management, a lot of increase in planting new woodlands and managing woodlands again. Uh, And I think now that we're seeing more farmers talking to us about private markets so what's happening in england on biodiversity net gain for example that is cropping up more regularly i wouldn't say it's happening on on, you know on on the vast majority of farms but you know farmers are being approached now by some of those developers uh, and companies looking to sort of offset what they're doing in terms of
1: development
0: and do you think that you should put a financial value on nature and where do you think the value is
1: Wow, that's a tough question. I think, I mean, ultimately, society decides what value we place on anything and, and that sort of happens through their buying habits, through the initiatives that are that are put in place by whoever society elects. I think most, almost everyone would say that they value nature and they want to protect and enhance the rural environment. But the question would be, well, how's that paid for and by whom? some values attached through government schemes directly some will be attributed via schemes which might for instance impact developers like the biodiversity net gain and i think it's fair to say that this is an evolving position and so the actual value of biodiversity is still being established and there's always going to be a tension between the need to conserve the environment and commercial pressures to generate income from the land in other ways
0: What are you seeing as the main challenges in green finance at the moment? Is this across the whole of UK and Scotland?
1: Well, if I think about green finance in that broader way that I described it, rather than the pure banking definition, then I certainly don't see a shortage of funds available generally. Some of the environmental schemes that we're going to see do do throw up some interesting considerations, uh, which will depend on the specifics of the contract. So banks will have to understand what that means for our customer and how it affects our lending. So if I give you an example, if a scheme pays out largely upfront because of the activity, but then leaves a long term obligation to the landowner, then what impact does that have on the value of the land? And if the land is bank security for the loan, how does that affect the bank? So those are the sorts of things we need to consider. And also we look at, well, when does revenue begin to be generated and what does that payment structure look like? Because we're going to need to think about that in terms of how that affects the the repayment structure for any finance. I think generally speaking, it's important that banks take the long-term view on schemes and structure repayment profiles accordingly. And and thankfully, the long-term approach to farm funding uh, although it's pretty unique within banking, then it's nothing new to HSBC. And so I think we were adapting pretty quickly. If I look across the whole nation, then the principles of financing change are pretty universal. But where legislation or environmental schemes are different, then there will be subtle differences. And as we know, the devolved authorities across the UK are following broadly a similar approach, but different when it comes to the specifics. In terms of where schemes are coming in that are replacing European payments to farmers,
0: and Steve, what do you see as the main challenges to green finance?
1: Probably looking at how we value
2: those different habitats and value value nature. It's a rapidly evolving area. You know, from a from a banking perspective, it's relatively easy to maybe value land for agricultural purposes, to value buildings, equipment, that type of activity, but. When it comes to nature it's a, it's a biological process it evolves it changes it, it improves over time uh, in terms of what we're trying to achieve so trying to value that and looking at the quality species diversity it's an area where you know the professional sector is upskilling becoming uh, more and better equipped to do those type of you know valuations but as a bank it's an area that we need to have a better understanding of as well as we move
1: forward
0: And what sort of funding and support do HSBC offer people looking to do natural capital or green products?
1: A lot of the finance that we put out is sort of in the traditional format. As I say, it it, it wouldn't necessarily be classed as green within our books, but it is helping the transition. We do have a green SME fund, which potentially offers discounted funding for um, sustainable purposes. Uh, Now, the purposes which qualify are reviewed by an external third party. And uh, if you are taking money through this scheme, then you can get 1% cash back within 12 months of, of drawdown. It's available to SMEs who are turning over under 25 million, which picks up most of farming. Uh, and the qualified loans start as, as little as £1,000 advance. But you know there are terms and conditions linked to this and HSBC managers could explore it more fully. I think quite excitingly I would say that we're also currently working with a respected industry organisation who are capable of providing knowledge transfer to farmers and are able to verify and accredit sustainable actions that are being taken on farm, the idea being that our lending to farmers working with that third party could be on preferential terms and we hope to be launching that scheme later this year but unfortunately at the moment I can't talk about which third party is involved or the specifics of the offer.
0: Okay, I won't ask you any more questions on that then. What about the wider banking sector? Is the the kind of similar products with other banks as well?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Most banks are or will look to find ways of supporting sustainable actions on farms. There are similar schemes out there with the other banks. I think we as an industry we're all trying to support the farmers in, in transition. I think essentially banks lend money and uh, they charge according to how risky they perceive the loan is and since producing food more sustainably in the long run will keep markets open to farmers then it's it's less risky in the long run than producing food in a less sustainable way. And so in time I believe there will be a more general impact on pricing and those farmers that are more sustainable in their thinking and in their actions will probably get finance cheaper than those that aren't. I have to say, we will of course also be assessing all the other risks that face our customers, and so sustainability will be one of a suite of things that we consider. It won't be necessarily the uh, the driving force in pricing.
0: And Steve, you've been involved in a natural capital project at Duddle Farm in Northumberland. Can you tell us a little bit more about this?
2: Yes, I can. Yeah, we um, we visited the farm probably twelve months ago now uh, for one of our kind of normal kind of um, visits uh, to to see the client. Um, but as we went around the farm, I just thought it was a great example of someone uh, who was trying to balance uh, food production on their on their particular farm with various different different habitats, uh, some of which were funded through schemes. So, like I said, the you know the, the infield margins, uh, hedgerow management, that that type of thing but also some other habitats on farm like ancient woodland, like uh, riverside habitats that they had, which were relatively you know, unique to that, that particular area. So it kind of piqued my interest because as, as a bank we need to start to try and understand how these habitats interact with that commercial food production and how farmers are actually trying to manage that, uh, the impact on the environment through that, through that food production, but also think a little bit about what opportunities uh, does that does that offer some of those opportunities might be around, you know, private markets for for BNG, that type of thing in England, but also tourism, leisure, health benefits. Uh, the farm itself has some great archaeological features, which, again, are part of that natural capital uh, for that local area uh, and bringing visitors to the to the area. So it's just trying to gain an understanding for, from, from our perspective as how all those different habitats interact and and how a farmer actually can manage them going forward and what our part and role should be in that.
0: And is it easy for banks and the private sector to invest in these sort of projects that are going on on the farms? Does it make financial sense?
1: We certainly have to think about it in a different way. If I look at an an average request to a bank for, for funding it probably is a situation where the customer is saying I've got this idea I need this capital to make the idea happen and when it does happen my business will be more profitable and I'll be able to repay you I mean that's sort of typically what we see in these situations then the time scales involved and the revenue streams are a bit less obvious so what we would try and do is sort of sit back take a look and think well what's the value to society what's the value to the customer that we're working with what are the risks in taking part and how will the any finance be repaid the financial value in taking part and payback period are often very different to most commercial ventures but it doesn't mean that they're not supportable and it certainly doesn't mean that they're not worth doing it just means we have to be a little bit more innovative about the way that we uh, we structure the finance and we also have to consider what are the implications of the scheme on any security that's being offered in the background.
0: And what other financial tools and mechanisms are available?
1: I mean, there's a whole host of way of approaching these things. And what we've seen are things like joint ventures, equity stakes, uh, guarantees, rather than the finance itself, as well as, of course, all the traditional finance methods, they all play their part increasingly what we're beginning to see is collaboration across multiple landowners and it's uh, potentially really important in those situations that there's a specific vehicle created to allow funding and to make the project happen and so we need to look at well how do we structure uh, the finance towards those specific vehicles and then outside of these traditional bank finance methods then crowdfunding I suspect is something that may well come into play for for some of these initiatives
0: and Steve
1: yeah I just think the point Martin raised there about collaboration
2: is, a, is an interesting one because when you again start to deal with uh, habitats and biodiversity at a, at a landscape scale then you need to start to consider all those enterprises farms land managers across that that particular area and how they can come to come together and have a greater impact it's fine being able to do things at a sort of farm by farm level but you know that can have its challenges if it's a tenant uh, as well as a you know maybe an owner occupier that's got more freedom to do what, what they need to do but trying to do things collaboratively bringing in different organizations to that those sort of partnerships and working out what vehicle might be needed to to make it happen is key really as we go forward if we're going to try and stretch ourselves as a bank and be a bit more more innovative these are the sort of challenges that uh, we'll need to try and uh, meet as we go go
1: forward in this area
0: do you get a lot of kind of collaborative projects coming forward
1: yeah we're starting to see more and more when it comes to environmental matters i mean we've we've always seen joint joint ventures in farming that's that's not unusual at all but i think what's perhaps different here is the scale of collaboration and i mean the geographic scale of it some of the environmental uh, projects that we're beginning to see at an early stage, perhaps, but we're beginning to see them could involve, you know, two or three larger states that neighbor each other, all coming together to create that sort of biodiversity corridor. And um, so the, the big change I'm seeing is, is the scale that's being applied.
0: And how do you assess the value or the quality of projects when it's so different in scale from maybe just one single farmer to collaborative projects?
1: I think the basic same approach applies regardless of scale. The first thing we would look at is to think, well, is this worth doing? Does this add value to society? And if it does, the next thing we think about is the farmer, or in the case of a collaboration, the group coming together, Do they have the expertise or access to the expertise to make this happen? And then if we've established, well, it's worth doing and they're capable of doing it. The next thing we look at is, does it make commercial sense? And if so, over what time scale and and what does that look like? And assuming that all of those things happen and it's down to scratching our heads and working out, well, how are we going to structure the finance on this to help support it?
0: You've just recently released the forward planning 2024 do you want to give an overview of that
1: i'll go first and then perhaps steve who's been mm-hmm. instrumental in uh, the issuing of this document can go after me from my point of view forward planning is something that we've always published for this is actually the 50th edition 50th year we've produced the information and we've always thought about how important it is for farmers to plan to understand the economics of whatever they're cultivating or the the animals that they're raising and the methods that they'll be employing to make sure it's it's sustainable in a financial sense the difference we've made this year is that we've begun to include data that's looking at the environmental impact of the different farming methods and i think this comes back to the principle that understanding the risks to a farmer and to the bank in the long run of different farming techniques is really important I think one thing I would really stress is that, by definition, certain types of farming are going to create greater emissions than other types of farming, and that doesn't mean that we're prioritizing certain subsectors over others, but it does mean that we'd like to work with all of our farmers to help them understand well, what does their emissions footprint look like, their efficiency look like, and how can we help them improve it over time? yeah, as martin
2: said it's the it's the fiftieth edition of forward planning. I'm sat here in the York office today where we've got nearly all the, the back copies of the forward planning back to 1973 or something, um, which is uh, it interesting to see the production value of those ones in, in initially. But we have included some additional figures in there this time looking at environmental aspects. We, we work closely with Andersons to pull together the sort of normal gross margins and whole farm budgets. And Andersons have pulled together a whole farm budget for a regen arable rotation, looking at the the values within their five years after that budget had started. So it kind of tries to show that the transition that a farm may go through adopting regen practices and some of the changes in outputs, but also changes in costs that a farm might see. The second area that we've included, we've worked with AgriCalc to pull together some emission ranges for just six different enterprises at the moment across arable dairy and and red meat. And those carbon emission ranges are really there to to get the conversation started in terms of what does you know a, a high performance look like, what does low performance look like in terms of carbon emission ranges. And um, moving forward, you know farming with a lower carbon footprint be important for uh, not just market access but also for us as a banker as well and so we felt it was appropriate this time to put those carbon emission ranges in to get the conversation started really and we worked with agricalc as i said to pull those all those data ranges together because there was a you know a large number of farms within that sample uh, very representative of uk agriculture and so you know we'll look to continue that kind of relationship going forward i think
0: is this the first year that you've been done carbon emissions
2: It's the first year we've included carbon emission ranges within the forward planning booklet. As I said, it was probably the the right time to do it. As a bank, we're starting to think about our financed emissions and we wanna try and work with clients to decarbonize and and produce food with a lower carbon footprint in the future. So it is important to us and uh, as a bank, we need to start the conversation with clients. So those, those carbon emission ranges are very much just a starter for 10. And as we go forward, we'll probably produce more within forward planning.
0: It'd be quite interesting to go back to 73 to look at all the different kind of styles of the documents throughout the years and how the priorities change.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting when you go back through the through the booklet. I mean, the, fundamentally, the HSBC has produced that booklet now for 50 years, which shows its commitment to the sector yes the prices have changed and output levels have changed within there uh, and the booklet has evolved over time and that's part of the reason why we felt it appropriate this year to put those uh, regen ag budgets in there as well as the carbon emission ranges because it's a journey that the industry is on and we need
1: to go along with the industry on that and support where we can i guess what i'd add to that is even in in the relatively recent past a big feature in those farm numbers was payments that were coming in from Europe, which, of course, are already disappearing in England and will be disappearing everywhere in the coming years. And so um, one of the interesting things is to see how farms are and need to become more efficient in order to make sure that they're financially viable despite changes to the way that that grants are, are paid.
0: Is there an archive of the document anywhere throughout the years?
1: the latest ones are all in digital form as well as being in paper form we do have we do have an archive in the sense of paper copies that go back the full 50 years which seems somewhat old fashioned nowadays but is the only way we have a record of in truth of some of those early publications
0: we will be able to put a link to the most recent forward planning document in the show notes of this podcast And is there anything else that either of you would like to add about HSBC and natural capital work? I guess I'd
1: just say that I I think HSBC has got a duty of care in the fact that we're we're working with farmers who are going through an enormous amount of change at the moment. There's a change to the way that they uh, receive uh, money in the form of grants and so on, rather than the area payments that they used to receive. There's all sorts of external forces affecting them, whether that's through the processors and retailers or government around the need to produce food more sustainably. And that's a tricky time for everyone. And so uh, I think there's a few things the bank can do. We can, we can talk to farmers, we can bring farmers together to debate the situation. We can work with third parties to provide knowledge transfer so that they're making informed decisions. And then a lot of those changes are going to need finance and fortunately HSBC has got a very large liquid balance sheet and I'd like to fund transition of as many farmers as possible. I, I genuinely believe I can significantly increase the amount of money that I'm lending to the farming industry and still in the long term see the financed emissions of those advances reducing. I think the um you know
2: the drivers within the industry are increasing whether it's so supply chains uh, looking at carbon emissions and many of those supply chains when you look at actually what they're trying to do they're looking at biodiversity as well within those schemes and those initiatives uh, they do but we're also seeing landlords interested in this area we're seeing utility companies who are you know landlords but they also have vested interest in producing clean water that type of thing the The influences, the drivers on the industry are increasing in this particular area around natural capital year on year. And as I've said earlier as as a bank, we want to support that transition going forward.
0: Steve, if you were to give one piece of advice to a farmer listening, what would it be?
2: I think for me, it would be around to take advantage of this sort of opportunity that's coming around natural capital in terms of the habitats that that people might have on farm. It's to understand, The baseline understand what the existing habitats are the quality of those habitats and how they can be valued it's an interesting methodology how you can value the the habitat quality around a a hedgerow or a piece of woodland for example so it would be around having a good understanding of what your baseline your starting point is
0: and martin same question
1: i was just thinking when i was younger my my sport was whitewater canoeing and When you're canoeing on a fast flowing river, if you drift, then you just get smashed into the rocks. You have to be paddling, you actually have to be paddling either faster or slower than the water. And I would say farmers, my advice is don't drift. Um, Make a conscious decision about what you want to do in this space. Don't wait for something to happen. You know, talk to people that can provide you with knowledge make a conscious decision and if that decision is that you won't do anything in this space because you're focusing elsewhere then at, at least let that be a conscious decision don't just drift along with the flow i
0: think that's great advice from both and thank you for coming on to the natural capital podcast
2: My pleasure thank you very much
0: if you want to find out more on everything we've discussed we have provided links in the show notes you can listen to our other shows such as drill of the hill crotting matters and stop talk on any podcast provider. You can also listen back to all other episodes in this series and access a wide variety of other resources on the Faz Sounds page and Farm Advisory Service website. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us for the next episode of Natural Capital. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock,
1: crops and soils, environment, Rural Business and more, brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.